0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the 16mm film crew. I'm Cindy and I'm Neil you can watch us on YouTube you can like and comments on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel you can support us on Anchor you can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16mm film crew podcast leave us a rate and review and visit us on our website at www.16mmfilmcrew.com So this week we watched Luther the Fallen Sun. Here is your synopsis. A serial killer terrorizes London while disgraced detective John Luther sits behind bars. Haunted by his failure to capture the cyber psychopath who now taunts him, Luther decides to break out of prison to finish the job by any means necessary. This movie is starring Idris Elba, Cynthia Revo, and Andy Serkis, and it is directed by Jamie Payne. So, Dale, tell us your thoughts on this film.
1: I don't know. I'm I'm really conflicted in a way because I have been watching I'm a big fan of this series. Um but I do feel like uh this movie was really minimal and paid by num numbers. Um with the sh- within the series Luther, they they're really let you stew and dwell in the situation or whatever, dealing with Luther's interpersonal <laughs> stuff. You have to usually or him not just with him but people within the organization well or fellow detectives and cops, you know you you delve more into the psychology and personal life of the people he's investigating and stuff like that. But I felt like this movie was like it 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 was like a two hour movie, but it felt like much faster. The way the pacing just kind of just goes right through. He gets arrested, you know, he breaks out tracks on criminal like it felt really the pacing felt really odd and it feel reminiscent of the show even though um neil cross um who is produced the movie is also the one doing a lot of the writing behind the scenes doing a lot of writing for the show but i feel like there was a big disconnect from the elements of the show translating to um theaters in a way
0: yeah i haven't watched luther in a really long time like years so i can't remember like how everything went down but yeah when you're generally making a movie versus having a tv show you have more time to flesh things out things are gonna definitely get lost um i thought it was fine actually i didn't mind it too much um i thought the action sequences were engaging I thought that the story was sort of interesting I feel like is this a nitpick no it's not a nitpick I just feel like there were certain things that they brought up that they could have definitely delved deeper into which is why a series is a better platform for a story like this where you have more time to really like understand motivations and get into like the nitty-gritty of detective work versus when you're trying to like shove everything into a movie even though this was like two hours which is still I don't even know if it's long anymore I feel like that's like a standard (laughs) runtime for most movies these days but um yeah it did feel like there were things that were skipped over that could have been delved deeper into um like this could have been the villain in this played by Andy Zirkus. that could have been like a series long arc of, like, figuring out, like, what's going on with this murder. Like, how are these murders connected? Where does this guy come from? Like, his wife, all that other stuff. I feel like that could have been, like, a full season of, like, storyline and plot. So, yeah, I, I will agree that it definitely feels kind of smushed and, like, reduced because of the platform that it's channeling. But I will say that, like, it just Elba still seemed great in the role. Very engaging. Um, I didn't like how Andy Circus was developed in terms of like the look of the character, but I do think he still is as creepy as he is whenever he's playing a villain. So I thought he did a good job on that. Cynthia Rebo, mm, I don't know how I feel about that performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We could talk about that a little bit. Just the her.
1: Yeah, I don't, well, I know with, with Cynthia, I don't know. I mean, this is beyond, like, whatever issues I have. But I think her character, though, was really... There was nothing there with her character. Most of her interactions with Luther were like, oh, I don't like you, and I'm in charge now. And that was, I really wish there was more backstory of, you know, because they are both detectives in the same department, his his um former boss, who he had a relationship with, is retired. She takes over. I wish there would have been a back and forth about. I remember working with you on on like something like that. Like we were both detectives. I don't like the way you. I don't like like she. I wish she had some sort of like, like. All the officers kind of knew how Luther operated. Like him being arrested in the beginning of the show is not surprising. If you watch the show, Luther he plays really loose with the law. Like more so than you see in American cop shows. He's like, I'm going to be super aggressive. And, like, he'll he'll fight and beat the crap out of these criminals. But Mm -hmm. I wish that could have been more at play with those two. Like, I don't like the way you do things. You know, I'm in charge now. Your old friend is those kind of... We don't do those kind of... Like, more, it's just like, oh, I don't like you. And then that... It's like, no real reason as to why. And when you're dealing with, like... It's different, like, with humans. Like, not humans, but in real life, you could just not like somebody, not have a reason. But in stories you kind of need that backstory and stuff like that to help flush out their interactions. Like it felt like really plain. Like when she finds out her daughter's captured or whatever, I feel like her acting was like really minimal and, and weak and they flipped it. She goes from playing this, you know, former vet, inve- former inspector who's now the chief of serial crime. And when she has to like fight these guys, she, they show her so weak and frail, like she can't do anything. Mm. And it's just, it's just basically one on one. She has a baseball at the guy with a crowbar and she cannot do anything. And I, I feel like they really underdevelop her character a lot.
0: Yeah, that was so confusing to me. I was like, was she not in the field? Like, did she not have the experience of like combat training? And uh, yeah, it didn't make any sense of why she yeah. couldn't do it. That was so. There's a lot in this movie that does not make sense, by the way. Like, yeah. first of all, Cynthia Revo is not old enough to have a daughter who's a teenager. So that looked weird to me just from the jump. I was like, this girl is supposed to be like 15, 16 years old and you're playing her mom like, aren't you in your 30s? Like that doesn't, that didn't make any sense to me. I was like, you can suspend belief for some things, but yeah, that I couldn't get with that. Like for some reason at the end, Luther is able to like go on Andy Serkis's phone and like open the vault gate. And it's like, how is your phone still working? It, it, it's it been submerged underwater for very long. <laughs> Freezing, like, <laughs> temperatures. <laughs> Freezing temperatures. Freezing temperatures. That's what I'm saying. Like, some things just really don't add up at all. And it's just like... Excuse me, please. But, like, I'm not dumb like this. And the only the thing that was kind of getting or distracting me is I was making, maybe unfairly, comparisons to Sherlock because it felt very much like the same roles but just in like different situations yeah um and you have to your point like what you were saying about her Cynthia Rio's character and Idris Elba's character you have a you have Watson and you have Sherlock one is very by the book and one improvises like that's just the buddy cop kind of relationship that they have and it works out really well so I was thinking that that's where they were gonna go with this situation but it didn't go that way. She just stayed angry at him for the entire time, and like I was just like, "Well, aren't we supposed to reach a point where it's like, yeah, I don't agree with your methods, but how? But you know, I do respect the talents that you're bringing to the table. The fact that we're able to like actually catch this guy is because of your help. So yeah. I was thinking that they were gonna turn around there, but they they didn't. They didn't do that. Also, how did Jamal the Cop die from a leg injury. Like well, can someone explained, right,
1: that right there, that inner thigh part is. a Was it an it's artery? A, it's a main artery. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Well, then. Yeah. Okay, that makes but, sense. How you
1: both died. <laughs> the, the 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 X the, the the speed at which he like dies, where if you when they sh- shoot, they they take us, they show us the leg and where he's injured, and where like there's not that much blood loss to say that it's an it's a major artery, but the amount of blood they showed. Losing is not enough to where he could say, hey, I remember you, Luther. Go run and then pass out, you know? Mm. So, but yeah.
0: Yeah. There were several things that happened. I was like, that whole scene, that whole sequence, like there are, there, I feel like there are three major big sequences. One is the jailbreak sequence. This, then there's the one in London, Turfalfa Square or whatever. Uh, Piccadilly where every, Circus. Piccadilly Circus where all the victims are like gonna jump to their deaths, right? And my thing was like, okay, cops, you have the guy who's doing this, like Luther. They're making contact. He's right in the square. Like, go after him. Y'all are worried about these people jumping. I'm like, listen, they're gone. You can't help them at this point. <laughs> Focus mean, on the man. Focus on the man who's doing all this.
1: My thing. And they just them, didn't do it. My, but my thing with that scene isn't them not fo- not them focusing on the guy or luther my thing is how that whole scene set up there's no way like the writing there that that scene kind of exposed how weak the writing is in the movie Mm. is given Mm -hmm. how good the writing is in the show but a he has no idea luther has found the guy or found the phone he's just sitting there chilling and it Mm. just so happens when luther's about to catch him he's already planned for these people to jump at Piccadilly Circus right when the cops show up. Like, it's it's too much coincidence. Maybe he was there to watch them fall and see the chaos take place, but for it to all come full circle, Luther shows up, the cops show up, people start falling in mass chaos where so the police lose track of them. It's too, it's too like hand wavy magic where everything just kind of happens. That scene describes the weak, like, showcases how weak the writing was for this project.
0: Yeah, I agree. I feel like they gave him um, Uther, which I mean, I guess is the point because he is the main character. But it was very main character energy, where it's like I just I can't die, like I physically can't. <laughs> yeah. So like he was just getting out of situations. That whole jailbreak sequence was sort of interesting to watch, but like also you're going like you're one person going up against many guys who have the will to kill you. Like it's very strange that you somehow are still able to come out of that and i guess maybe if we under like heard their planning a little bit it might have made more sense but like it just cuts away he's just like let me loose and i'll figure it out and i was like okay sure <laughs> whatever you say luther like you can fight like 20 guys yeah. i don't know he got, he got stabbed like twice yeah and he up. was still yeah. he was still going no medical attention yeah. and and
1: and that's probably the like one of the weirder things Less we've seen the show. We've seen the show that Luther can fight, you mm-hmm. know. But usually he's going against like the criminals. He's kind of catching are not like like the ones he's fighting in jail. They're mm-hmm. more like in line with Andy Serkis' character, where they're not going to be as physically intimidating or on par with him. So okay, Luther got some hands. Like he could have fought the guy that um uh Cynthia had to fight in the like and would have been fine. But then the jailbreak, he found like 40 guys, and you know, he pushes one, sets one on fire, kicks them over a railing. Like, it's it, and it's weird because, yes, we see it in action movies constantly, but Luther isn't really showcased as an action show or property. It's a detective show. So it's kind of hard, odd where this detective just turns into like Sylvester Stallone or The mm. Rock. And just t- takes out swaths of prisoners with, you know, shanks and stuff. And police weapons that they've stolen, you know, and he survives, you know. Right, yeah. right.
0: Yeah, that's so true. They're billing him as something that he, like, wasn't in the show. Yeah. Which is why I appreciated, like, the last scene or that those last 30 minutes where they're in the red... I forgot. It's not the red room. They call it something else. But that torture space. Yeah. And... It really like it seems like he, there's the option of either he <laughs> smashes in Cynthia's kneecaps or her daughter does. And I like that little moment where he actually has to, like talk his way out of it first before he can start throwing hands because that to me feels more of like you're okay, We're using our brain, yeah, over our physical, you know skills to like get out of the situation, which is what I appreciated. At least at first. He does throw hands eventually. But like at yeah. that moment, it's like, no, no, no. All of it, you guys... It works
1: at it, it works that point.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. It's like, no, no, the, the police have your IP addresses and you're going to... And it's like, that to me was more detective-y and I liked that portion of it. It did come at the end, though. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I do feel like, as much as I, I, I love this series, you know, watching it, I do feel like this movie is more in line of the stereotypical American, you know, cop goals. Like th- that kind of thing where the cop has to solve this case and he goes off and he, you know, that kind of thing. That it doesn't feel like the like the you, Luther I was used to watching where it's more methodical and thinking, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Mhm. Yeah. So about the Andy Serk, I don't know what his name is. and Is it David or something? I forget. I think
1: it's David Robley, I think, if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah. His character and what they're doing, right? So I feel like they touched on a couple of things that were sort of interesting. Like, he kept saying something about the fact that, like, there is no difference between us and, like, other people who are, like, high and mighty or in law enforcement or whatever. Like, we all have this, I guess, animal instinct to want to see people be hurt or to experience violence in some way. And, like, yeah. I feel like they were trying to get somewhere with that and, you know, people who are online who, you know, um, engage in these type of, like, off-site, like, weird situations where, you know, you're, they're... they're They're showcasing different kinds of things or even people who are like engaging in sex trafficking and all the other stuff all this activity online the idea of like shame or even getting off on other people's pain and how that can be monetized how that can be exploited i thought that was interesting but i just felt like they didn't go deep enough into that what they were trying to talk about there and that kind of felt like a missed opportunity to me because i was like well yeah this is very relevant to like What's happening currently? A lot of this, a lot of our engagement, a lot of our connections are online, and some of them are really unhealthy and dangerous, and other people are at risk, and it's cre- creepy and scary. And I wanted them to dig more into that, but it kind of just felt like he seemed a little too cartoonish for me to take the subject matter seriously. So, yeah, that was kind of hard for me.
1: Yeah, they could have done a lot more, especially with both their characters and how they lean more to violence whereas you know Andy Circus character is more on the serial killer side but you have Luther which is kind of he's on that pre- he's on that edge like I am lawful but I still have violent tendencies like and he he says it like minor but they do nothing else with it like basically like what's the difference between me and you you do this like basically you do this like a badge and I and I don't like you know I I just I just get off on it but you you Violently attack and assault criminals but you do it behind a masculine badge like there was so much more that could have they could have brought out like between those two characters and how in luther as a person that if you watch show you know that they could have done with like you said before they could have covered how people interact online the warriors to Tennessee's, which they did very minimal when they showed the scenes of his people you know hacking mm-hmm. into people's items and they catch a guy wa- watching porn and he goes like the guy's like oh perfect this is our next
0: our next mm-hmm. target
1: you know is there there were was so much there they could have done with that subtext and expand upon it and just kind of did just enough to get move the plot along which you know
0: yeah I didn't like that I was just like you have some good stuff here like just but again that's the limitations of doing a movie it's like or and not even I feel like they they could have worked it in there better if we weren't like so focused on because the two plus is like, okay, we're trying to catch this cyber guy, the cyber killer man. And we're also trying to lock Luther up. And I feel like if we spent less time trying to capture Luther and more time on David, I feel like we could have gotten into those areas. Because he would have been like, their our main focus. But because we had to focus on, like, the police trying to capture Luther and Luther trying to break out of jail, it was just like... I guess the time doesn't feel like it was allocated to the right <laughs> plots. I feel like we could have allocated more time to this because that seemed interesting to me. Um so I like
1: the the one part that kind of I think kicked off my issues with the sh- with the sh- movie were when um after Luther gets arrested. And mm-hmm. they even tell you in the movie he's he got arrested as he's working on the case. And you know, then Andy Circus's character sends him a note. It sends him a radio broadcast, and then right after, um, um, the kid, that kid's mom, in the beginning visits him, and it says, "Oh, I guess you were preoccupied with other things." And I'm like, "Lady, like, like the he got arrested he locked- in the middle, yeah, yeah, in the <laughs> middle of the case. What was he preoccupied with? Like, like For it's, <laughs> it was like, what do you, what are you talking about? Like, he was focused on your son's case. Yes, he was." All those the reasons why he was no longer a cop and he got arrested were for prior cases, but he was focused on your case. What is like the thing? And I was, I don't I don't know. And then I kind of find it weird how they kind of said, "Oh, he's this rich guy who kind of finds his way into people's lives." Like, "Oh, I tricked her son, came at him. Now I'm like in a relationship with his wife, and I'm goading Luther with it the whole
0: time." You know, it. Yeah. Yeah. The dots weren't connecting and all. And also, I thought that they were going to do more with that mom character because she just kept showing up in the film. And they didn't really do anything with her. Like, she was, like, a vehicle for David to, like, infiltrate her life or something. But, and I guess maybe get closer to to Luther. Was that the purpose of that? Because I'm like, the son was already dead. So it's not like we needed more connection of this unless... The only connection with that was to get closer to Luther. And they didn't even explain that really. Like she explained it in exposition and then like you like no, it, it didn't play into anything else for the rest of the movie. So.
1: And, and and the line of them saying, Oh, he's doing this because he wants an audience but he's only addressed the victims and Luther. He hasn't addressed anybody else in, in, in this mm-hmm. taunting his behavior. Like had he like Hacked like a major like radio station and played the victims' music or the victims' you know last words maybe fine, but he like he doesn't really want an audience. He's just taunting Luther and taunting the the victim's family members. So the idea of that he wants a, a audience to you know watch him do his work is is really it, it like I feel like the writing and this is what I think what they were doing. I think the writing for this was like very like Batman versus Jokery mm-hmm. in a way when you, if you mm-hmm. familiar with that dynamic, but it doesn't hit those same plot beats or, or notes. And it, it felt like a weak a, not even like you said, Sherlock Holmes. I feel like this was like a weak imitation of Batman and Joker, like, and mm-hmm. it didn't hit those same moments or more recently, Batman and the Riddler, but in the, the payoff wasn't as impactful.
0: Yeah, it was giving me very like Sherlock Moriarty, <laughs> yeah, and that whole like we live in a society thing that we've kind of already heard before. Yeah. I don't know, yeah, I yeah. It's just like I think they really tried to do something with this, but yeah. it didn't like you said, it just yeah. didn't hit. <laughs> yeah. The more I'm thinking it. about it, the more I'm like, yeah, now nah, that that doesn't make mm. any sense, yeah, yeah I,
1: that not I can get like. This movie is very much, I think, more to, for, it's designed for American audiences, like, Mm -hmm. that's like this is the vibe I'm getting for it. It wasn't, like, designed for UK fans or fans of actor series. I think they were like, hey, Netflix, Idris Elba, Luther known property, it prints checks. Because at that point, you say Idris Elba, and you, you say Idris Elba in the States, he's a big enough actor where he's gonna get a draw. I think it's like the third, um, in a netflix those are top 10 this is like third mm-hmm. in their top 10 and it's mm-hmm. like the it came out what the 10th and it's now the 20 like the week of the 20th almost end of the month and it's still a top 10. that means they could just say it's it's, it's just alba and netflix was signs the check and just says okay you know that i feel like that's what the movie was for me
0: yeah it was very like like you said just paint by the numbers like standard exactly what you're gonna expect I think they tried to play around with some cool ideas I would have loved if this actually was a season of television versus a movie I feel like it actually would have played out better but again there were also things that just didn't make any sense and things that you couldn't like stretch your imagination to say okay well maybe in this situation would and characters would just say things that yeah it just wasn't cohesive it was just a very standard like we could have put any other leading man in this role or um just switched around some people and it would have been a different it would have been batman or it would have been sherlock you know it's it's kind of the same it wasn't it didn't give what i was thinking i I feel
1: like i feel like with this movie you could not cast idris alba you can give him like a whole different name you can even like Drawn, you know, Michaels or whatever, and recast everybody, and nothing would change. Like mm-hmm. it didn't mm-hmm. feel like, like usually with these franchises, like I'm considering Luther a franchise. There's there's things you're expecting from the the, the show or the movie that happen, and none of that happened with this. So right, yeah.
0: Oh. Well- watch it inform your own opinions i guess <laughs>
1: yeah. i mean if you got nothing to do i mean this movie is like it's not bad but it's not good like i would say this is like a three hour of five you know it's not something you're gonna like instantaneously hate every moment watching but it's no it's a, yeah it's, it's a fine. good it's a good time waster it's so like yeah i'd give it like a 50-ish or you know three out of five you know but yeah yeah I mean, it ain't, no, it ain't no John Wick 4, you know, and on that note, onto the box office stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's an amazing run for these, um, I guess, rebirth of franchise in a way. Just, of course, John Wick is a new franchise on his fourth, fourth movie. You got Creed 3, uh, you got all these other movies that are basically knocking out a park as mm-hmm. far as. We're getting variety in cinema, which is what people have kind of always wanted. Um, John Wick four opened to a franchise record, uh, seventy three point five million dollars this past weekend with positive reviews across the board. Everybody praising uh on uh, a Keanu Reeves. You know, each each movie in this series has almost doubled or triple. You know, the first John Wick did forty mil, fourteen million. John Wick two did thirty. Uh, Parabellum the third one did um, almost sixty. So as this series has gone on, it's it's oh it's increased its opening numbers. I want to see if that trend will continue with the spinoff for the ballerina with Anna Deamos. See how that goes. But I do think John Wick, the John Wick universe um does have space for multiple franchises within their characters. So we see that goes um according to Lionsgate only nine of their franchises in the past um 40 years have kind of set opening weekend records in their fourth outing that means basically if it's a franchise with a fourth movie that they usually don't for 40 years liongate has not hit this marks so it's it's a good sign for them to see john wick doing these kind of numbers um so especially considering that the first john wick only made i think 86 million um in its original run so basically the day this weekend or week debut of this movie hits equaled almost the theatrical run of the first movie um we'll see how that goes and of course on the opposite of spectrum um you have *Suzanne with the fear of gods spoke about that earlier uh last week um and it dropped down to second place only making about 10 million dollars in about 500 theaters um the ticket sales for that movie on the second weekend have dropped by almost 70%. Um, and people are saying it's a dismal thing for DC, um, Warner Brothers, Zachary Levi, because the movie did take $110 million to produce and then another $100 million to promote. So, And so far, the movie's only earned about um, $50 million. And it's, both, it's turning out to be one of the worst turnouts. But this is not really an anomaly just for DC because Ant-Man and the Wasp, we spoke about the week before, kind of hit the same mark. It did a 70% drop. So it's not really a DC or Warner Brothers thing. It's kind of a whole issue right now with comic book adaptations, especially considering that even even with that 70% drop from week one to week two with Ant-Man and the Wasp, it also debuted lower than the first movie. So we're at a point where I guess it's not even just superhero fatigue, it's the fact that a lot of these movies have been kind of subpar, which is funny, is Kevin Feige, the brains behind Marvel, spoke about this before, like, if you put out good superhero movies, people won't get fatigued, but now he's also one of the brains behind the machine that is also putting out subpar movies on the Marvel side. So we'll see how that goes, but but not a good look for expectations so far for either one of these properties with their superhero movies. I guess DC's hoping that the Flash movie, based on the reaction that we had and everybody had during Super Bowl, will somehow save them and allow them to course correct fully. And on the Marvel side, they're hoping that um Guardians of the Galaxy uh four or three, I don't even know at this point, does it's the numbers three. they want is three does yeah. the numbers that they want them to do. So that's it for me on the box office side.
0: Okay. Um, so let's talk about some news stuff. The first major um news story comes to us uh, from well, I guess from everywhere, but <laughs> basically Jonathan Majors was arraigned following an arrest on assault charges in Manhattan. So police sources say that Majors called nine 99- 911 himself to report his concern about his girlfriend, whom he lives with. And when the police arrived, sources say that the girlfriend told a different story that she and Majors were in a cab on the way home from Brooklyn when he physically attacked her. Patrol officers noticed marks on the woman's body and they placed Majors under arrest. And she was taken to the hospital. In stable condition, he was charged with strangulation, assault, and harassment, but he was arraigned and then let go, um, I think, pretty early the next morning. His His representatives said that they deny any wrongdoing, like, he completely denies any wrongdoing, and that he has done nothing wrong, and that they look forward to clearing his name and clearing all of this up, and I think he's due back in court in, like, May. So this was kind of shocking. I remember when it came out, I was like, whoa, what happened? Um, there's not a lot of information here about what actually went down because obviously it's a very he said, she said kind of situation. So they're going to have to go to court and figure out all the details. But apparently she recanted and wrote a statement about it. I think that's like the most updated news. Yeah. And um, the And his defense says that they have plenty of evidence from, like, car footage and other witnesses that will show that, like, nothing, like, he didn't do anything wrong. So, I guess we're just going to have to see how this plays out. Um, Yeah. This is kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, it is. It is crazy. Um, Like you said, his offense attorney said um, they have footage from the taxi. They have witness testimony from the driver and people who were like on the street at the time onlookers and also uh his uh girlfriend or what whatever i'm not sure his partner um recanted her allegations um but new york is like one of the few um mandatory arrests uh states when it comes to domestic violence and and in that sense, police must make an arrest where there's probable cause that domestic violence occurred. And if you you can't be charged with domestic violence simply for assaulting another person, uh, the crimes under New York's domestic violence statute fall under a minimal scope. The first thing the police must do is determine whether their alleged victim is a member of your family or household, and that extends to current and former partners. It just it, like they wouldn't arrest you if it was like a random person, because it so it kind of only covers people you are close to. Um and lawyers went on to say, even if you find yourself in a situation where mandatory arrest is not required by law, the police have the ultimate authority to determine whether an arrest is the best course of action. So we don't know what call was made, but based on when the police arrived on the scene, regardless of whatever the cab the cab driver said or the witnesses at the time said, because they viewed uh, marks on her body, at the time, they took it upon themselves to then arrest Jonathan Majors. We don't know why they were called, but they they basically, the law says police in New York have the de- determination to make that call, whether the alleged victim says not to arrest somebody or everybody else says they make the call themselves and it's a mandatory arrest. So that's what kind of makes this kind of he should C said even more. So.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's something fishy in the story because yeah. I think his lawyers also said that she had like an emotional crisis, and I don't know what that means. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. I'm
1: like, in, in this situation, it's not like everybody's kind of speculating. You know, you have people talk about, oh, this is these Marvel's doing their stuff. That's why she recanted and stuff like that. Or you have people saying, uh, saying, oh, I knew he was a bad guy, you know, issues mm. on, nobody knows the race of who this woman is, people are assuming it's a white woman, and you're like, you get issues of, that's why a black men shouldn't be with white women. you get a lot of stuff, but I think people should just not say anything <laughs> until we have all the facts and not go on reckless speculation, like, just just wait, so
0: yeah, yeah if there's one thing that the internet will do it's speculate wildly <laughs> i
1: i i i do find it hilarious like not hilarious but it's weird that the us army of course we know um he did devotion which is army air force pilot but he also did a series of commercials for the army that are currently playing during march madness i haven't seen one yet but they pulled them sunday mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i kind of find it funny that the military is like yeah we're going to pull commercials of this alleged abuser when there have been history, case after case of women being abused in the army, like they were quick to react with this, with their PR, with their their advertising, but as an organization, the military is kind of wants to act like, their hands are tied, we can't stop you know, these men raping these women on military bases, we can't help these women at all, but when it came to this, they were quick to react which,
0: you know yeah, says a lot. <laughs> says a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so continuing that, um, it says kind of is kind of, you know, darkish uh series of news, but it is news is trending. Everybody should be informed. Um Lee Ralph, everybody's favorite uh Jamaican auntie. Um disclosed or um Gave details to an alleged sexual assault uh, that happened about 20 or so years ago um, by a famous TV judge, and she said it's hard for women to speak up about these things when these kind of things happen. She said she was a public place. She had her suit on. She was handling business for a television show that she was on, and they were both on the same network. And she said this man grabbed in, grabbed her by the back of the neck, turned her, turned her around, and rammed his uh, tongue down her throat and everybody at the network saw. Um, so um, she said after that, she'd gotten time, in contact with the uh, New Orleans mayor at the time, who was ready to help her take legal action, but by the the by the but the network discouraged um, her taking action. Somebody told her, please don't do it. They didn't want any bad pressure on the show and they didn't care what happened to her. Um, so she spoke about it. She said, tell your truth. Uh, don't carry the burden of pain, especially if you feel like something can't be worked through. Um but then count to that, she never revealed a name. She just said a fame TV judge. Um that's like 20 years ago, like half half of daytime shows were like all pseudo judges. So it could have been anybody. She didn't say any names. But it later on, um Judge Joe Brown um kind of you know, out of himself, you know. Recklessly, um, he said, Um, these are false rumors that are being spread that I mistreated a certain lady about 25 years ago. I categorically both deny both the accusations and the acquaintance of this lady. Um, and he said it's on Twitter. Old people shouldn't be tweeting. And he said, Those rumors started with uh certain unidentified parties and spread, and he's pretending to bring out uh cease and desist and sue for defamation. Um, so yeah. <laughs> it's he, no one said anything, no one knew who she was talking about. People were assuming, but now you kind of out yourself because you also knew about this situation happening 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, that means within that time, you recourse could have happened, you could have admitted a wrongdoing, but you held on to that for 25 years. The fact that you, as a man, were fully aware of the situation happening 25 years ago, and that means. There is something there, you know, if if you're able to recall it instantaneously. That means you haven't let it go. And you're that means yeah. you're running from it. So
0: Yeah. What's wild is that like you said so far she hasn't said anything that implicates me, but the fact of the matter is I don't know this woman, never met this woman, certainly haven't had any kind of contact with her. And it's like, okay, well. If there's nothing to say that she was implicating you, then why did you specifically say something about this? Like, yeah, what? That's what is so crazy. It's like your name was never mentioned. She mentioned Judge, I think Greg Mathis's name to yeah, say she, like it, it wasn't, wasn't him. him. Yeah, but no one said anything about you, Joe Brown. So like, for you to come out of whatever hole you're in to be like, um, yeah, I know she never specifically said to me, but. I have a guilty conscience, so it could be about me. And I don't know her. And it's like, well, no one said it was you. So why did you feel the need to even say anything? Like, it's just like, you put yourself out there for no reason, like no one, (laughs) they were like, oh, he said that basically whatever articles were reporting this is putting his picture and her picture next to each other. And so that people can draw conclusions that maybe it was him that did it. But still, like that's not if any if you want to go after anyone, go after those outlets that are doing their like trying to sway the public into thinking that it might be you, not her, because she literally never said your name. so yeah. what
1: <laughs> the the first common sense thing is if your name is not being mentioned, you don't put your name out there for people like, she just said, oh, this happened. E- executives didn't say anything. You know, You, you the, the common sense thing could have been not to say anything. and let all this happen on whatever network she was on at the time. Right. Like, make, make, why did the network not stick up for her? Now he done. Everybody's forgotten about the networks being involved and said and not letting her sue him because they didn't want to affect the show. Now we're focused on him. Mm -hmm. But there are two people, there are two parties that play, him and the people in charge and network at the time. They're both culpable for letting this happen and letting it slide for as long as they did. So.
0: Yeah. So that's weird. Yeah. Um. Moving on
1: to um, as we keep it going, um, the AFI, if you're not aware, is the British Film Institute. It's kind of uh, the bfi yeah the bfi's the british's um film funding bodies they do a lot of funding for a lot of independent movies they did after sun um they'd helped they helped with um another movie called um ire lane which got the same same response um so what happened was um one filmmaker uh came out and said that the system is systemically racist because he's made complaints over a series of years or whatever, and now they're admitting that how they handle the situation. Um. Um. The person at the center of it, Faisal Kishari, am um, Pahri if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, he's a writer, producer, you know, he's done Leaving Neverland and Michael Jack's documentary for Lions. Um, he set his case of complaints with AFI were largely overlooked for two years. And um, he told Deadline um, he's yet to receive a formal apology that he requested. Um, and he's also fearful that a- the, his pursuit of this with BFI could be damaging to his career despite assurances from the Institute that complaints would never compromise his access to his funding. Um, what the head of uh, BFI's Acquisition told him in a private meeting that filmmakers of color can have traumatic experiences when dealing with the Institute, and she likened the organization to the Titanic. Basically, if I'm ahead of inclusion and I'm telling a director that the organization is like a Titanic, a sinking ship, that means organizationally that's really bad. Um, Another issue was the highest number of funding complaints from the AFI the BFI over the past three years concerned racial discrimination. Uh once we we kinda do understand that uh racism is more coded in a way in Europe than it is over here, because I don't know why Americans view their racism as lighter. It's still just as bad. Um they have engaged in an external consultancy to review the complaints and their handling process as of last year and they are going forward to overhauling their procedures and they're currently taking anti-racism training as parts of um, as parts of effort to acknowledge and address their unconscious bias. Um, the BFI film, film executives will now be hired on a fixed term contract after um, the director, um, Maya Bayes. Told people that they had been in their posts for too long. So that's also part of the issue, because a lot of these people were people responsible for giving these independent creators money were also in their positions for far too long. That also created inconsistencies that might have played the fact that these racial issues uh, happen. And part of why they say this is unique is because the organization is also responsible for handing out. $55 $55 million of national lottery money. Basically, the British government also funds their arts programs. And so they're allocated $55 million a year. And so those racial issues affect who is and which directors are getting their money. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't totally surprising that the BFI <laughs> was systemically racist because, like, yeah, that, that pretty much tracks. But also I feel like when it comes to race and like how we discuss it, America has been largely more open about discussing these type of issues, especially in the film industry, versus a lot of other places around the world. And I think... I was watching an interview with Daniel Kalua and he definitely said this when he was talking about Get Out. He was like yeah, I'm not American, but, you know, I'm a Black man, so, like, I'm still experiencing the same things that the character would have, um, because the Black experience is the Black experience regardless of where you are in the world. And I think because of how the culture of, like, British society is, is that a lot of things go unsaid. And so there are a lot of systemically racial issues in the country that aren't being addressed and i think that's speaks to the culture but also speaks to the people who are in power like you were explaining in this situation that a lot of people have been in their jobs for a really, really long time most of them are probably male white so you know there is, there's not a lot of like understanding of like other people's <laughs> experiences their stories so it would totally make sense that like they wouldn't get or they would even not even that they wouldn't get complaints but they they wouldn't address them because that seems like that's what's been going on it's like there have been multiple complaints being made and they just ignored them so yeah i'm glad that that filmmaker actually stood up and said something though because a lot of times and i think we were discussing this during our oscar episode where it's like people are more interested in the recognition than actually not doing the work per se but just sticking their necks out and like being like hey i might not have a career after this but at least we would have addressed this really serious serious situation like what john boyega did during the protest the black Lives matter protest when he was like i don't know if i'll have a career after this but he was so sincere and genuine about like the pain that he suffered as well as like many other black artists have suffered being just in the world but also in a system or also in an industry that does not value them in their stories so yeah i'm really glad that someone said something and that they're at least putting plans in motion to like correct this because most things are systemically racist and unless they're called out they'll just continue to be that way
1: yeah like and it it goes beyond him because um two two directors who were also spoken to in this article um colton lee um, who runs the British paper The Voice? He's a director as well, and John Tay Richardson, producer, worked in the B T Wars. They say f- even speaking with the current CEO of um, B F I, very little has changed, and they both compared it to a white uh, a white middle class club, and, mm-hmm. it was, and they said it was um, something systemic about the way these projects has handled. And this was happened after a failed bid for one of their projects. So take it with a grain of salt. There might be some still issues of mm-hmm. our project wasn't picked up. But this is back in 2000. And, um 18 on um, bfi which i think is a really bad move in this article to counter the complaints of systemic racism said that 35 percent of their of productions of uh, that they've supported are ethically diverse writers and producers and you want to know what targeted beats their target was just for 30. that was a diversity target and they're like yeah guys we hit 35 we're okay like yeah. did not help i don't know how you think that was helping to counter the issues of systemic racism because you beat your targets by five points and in fact you have to put a target yeah 30 percent of the project fund have to be diverse that's not doing low. That's, that's low as well
0: very, low. very so, low that's like yeah that's not even doing the bare minimum that's like scraping no. <laughs> the bottom like i don't know that so, just shows like how out of touch A lot of these people who are in unfortunately the decision-making seats are it's like they don't even recognize that there's a problem like for you to be rejoicing over 35 percent is ridiculous like that's ridiculous
1: it 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 reminds me of the um i think it was a couple years ago where i guess matt damon was talking i guess a round table thing with other directors producers creators and writers and it was he kind of went back and forth with a young lady a black woman and she was like diversity is not just in front of the cameras behind he took like real offense to that like no diversity if you show some black people in front it's okay she's like no but we're also not just actors but we're directors where camera people were all the stuff and he could not process that hiring people both in front of the camera and behind the camera was the correct way to go. But mm. that's the nature of yeah. the beast we deal with in this industry as people
0: of color. hmm Oh anyway. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about what we watched this week. Dale?
1: Um this week um if you see, I'm drinking like a lot of water and tea if you're a visual person, uh, watching this, getting over being sick over the weekend. So I kind of marathoned The Recruit on Netflix, uh, Noah centerno's show where he kind of encapsulated, um, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Now. Probably not. You're you not, but I mean, that's the,
0: no, no. But that's the joke. No one pronounces his last name correctly. No one it's pronounces always a, his name it's correctly. It's always a joke. It's always a joke. So that's why I'm laughing.
1: Oh my gosh! But anyway, he's kind of taking on that awkward, weird guy lane that was mostly dominated for a long period of time by um. Why did my my brain go blank? Plays uh, Mark Ruffalo. He kind of's taken that role for Mark Ruffalo in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, where he plays the FBI agent. My dad was like, "Hey, I'm gonna watch it because my dad likes spy stuff." Um, it's really engaging, really well done. I think it's probably one of the best. I want to say original Netflix projects like mm-hmm. that they've created. Netflix is usually hit or miss when it comes to their own original properties. A lot of the good stuff seem to be either from Spain or Korea or the UK. Any of their American original projects don't seem to be that good. But in this case, it is a wonderful program. I think they're doing season two, and I can't wait to look forward to it. So, I'm, it's, I'm, it's kind of weird seeing him playing an action role, but based on the character, it kind of works. Because I guess for like a long time, Netflix was shoehorning him into these uh, rom-com spaces, and it wasn't working, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You could probably speak about that, because I...
0: I, never watched, it. I never watched. I have not watched a single him? one of his movies. I watched yeah. to all the boys I loved before, but that was it. So that
1: was it. Yeah. So it's good. I can't. I can't say out how, how good or at his good or bad his acting is because I've only seen him in this and Black Adam. But it seems like he plays that same awkward dude in every project just based on these two. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: hey, if you find a lane, stick to it.
0: Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Okay, so I watched the. Okay. I watched the um Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary that came out like a couple years ago. Um, finally got around to that. I was gonna watch all the Beauty and the Bloodshed because, um, a film commentator on YouTube that I like watched it and said it was good. So, I was going to watch it, but then I looked it up and I was like, this is a lot. This is like really heavy. So, I'm not going to touch that right now. When I'm in like a better space, I'll watch something like that. But I'm just, I didn't feel like dealing with all that. So, I was like, let's watch another documentary. And it's about Ruth, the Supreme Court Justice. I think she was like the second woman to take the bench. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, like, I've Once I started getting, like, really politically engaged, like, maybe my second or third year of college, I kept hearing about her name, and obviously I knew she was, but, like, I didn't know her story at all. So, like, this was an interesting look inside of her story when she was, you know, still alive, and she kind of did a couple of interviews about kind of her journey, the fact that she was, like... She went to Cornell, she went to Harvard and she just couldn't get a job because it was the fifties. So that wasn't great. Um and how she was really battling to get um gender, like the gender, uh I forget what is what the exact specific like thing that she was fighting for. Gender equality. There we go. She was trying to get gender equality for women. <laughs> And that kind of uphill battle that actually led her to the Supreme Court. So it's interesting because I thought that she was very like she was more in the in the in the um, lane of like Gloria Steinem and people individuals like that, but she wasn't like as feminist as like maybe we would understand it to be in, I guess, a 2023 kind of lens. She was more moderate. It wasn't until the political landscape changed and things became more divisive, the right wing became more, you know, what it is today that she actually became a lot more leftist, which is an interesting detail that I didn't know about her. But that, yeah. So she was very moderate, even though she was fighting for, like, women's advancement. Um and yeah then then you would maybe assume, but yes, yeah, so i I like that. I like that the story also focused on her marriage between her and a man called Marty, and that he was super supportive of her, like he was like, yeah, she we moved to d c to d c for her job like and that's fine, and much more of a like a progressive man um like than you would think would exist back in the like forties and fifties, but like he was very progressive for his time, and just really good humored and stuff. There was a movie made about this called On the Basis of Sex with Felicity Jones and Army Hammer. Make of that what you will. Ignore. <laughs> <But> <laughs> make of that what you will. But um, yeah, I think the real life love story was very sweet. Um, she's incredibly smart works really hard i think that's why she's able to accomplish she was able to accomplish so much i know when she died everyone was really sad because the decisions that and i know we're experiencing this now but the decisions that are made on the supreme court affect all of our lives so severely and if they're doing their jobs well you probably won't notice but because of what has happened in the last couple of years you we really we're really feeling the effects of like what it means to have a lifelong you know appointment to these kinds of positions where the decisions that you're making are severely affecting like everyday <laughs> Americans and that they're kind of above presidencies and Congress and all that stuff, so like it's a very serious position, so it really matters who's on there and that we pay attention to the decisions that are being made up there because. The effects are very severe. But I also liked that they talked about her relationship with Anthony Scalia, who's a very conservative, or he's died; he's dead now, but, like, he was a very conservative um, judge. If you watch Vice, he's kind of mentioned in Vice a lot in that movie. But um, they had a really good friendship. And it was interesting because, again, they're on two separate sides of, like, politics or ideas but they still like were able to bond and have friendships and i and i wish government was more like that where it's like you can disagree with the people on certain things but like now disagreeing with your opponents is like it feels more consequential (laughs) consequential yeah consequence did i say it right the first time it feels more impactful yeah (laughs) i think i said it right yeah it feels more severe to be like oh we differ on opinions when your opinion is like women are not allowed to make decisions with their own bodies like you know so it again the landscape has changed very much even though Anthony believed that BS too but like there were it feels like there was enough compromise to make things happen and now there isn't that because it wasn't
1: so extreme
0: it wasn't so extreme and the, the leaders weren't as ridiculous and nonsensical as they are now so yeah, that, anyways
1: i mean i mean that's the thing with you know politics and politics has changed generations have changed um i find it weird lifelong appointments why are you 80 years old making decisions on my future when we have you don't understand what i'm thinking or the views the viewpoints i have you're kind of set in your way it's like I don't like this, therefore it's wrong. So you're gonna interpret a law in a way that influences the way you look. And it's kinda like I remember when Biden was running for president and people are like our generation had issues, I think, with some of his prior um bills, like his like mandatory minimums and stuff like that. Whereas our parent generations, if you're if your parents were here at the time, um they were like yeah i want these stricter you know gun laws and stuff that because 70s and 80s they saw chaos and and craziness and so like we want to be safe like us now look at it oh it's too these are too harsh for people like the families destroyed but we're you're viewing it like we talked about last week with media literacy we're viewing the political landscape and everything under a different lens so those decisions and those viewpoints of lawmakers and different political rivals being friends made sense because the country wasn't as divisive with their political views and there wasn't a group saying women and people of color shouldn't have rights at the time. Whereas now those things are changing. I can't I wouldn't be able to see a Republican, a, a Democrat get along. I remember before this, I was like, hey, that you know, Mitt Romney guy, if he won president, I like some of his policies. I have no issue with it. But now it's more like, yeah, I don't like any Republican because of they're all they're all low key racist. So it is what yeah.
0: it is. Yeah, it's true. And it's it's very um yeah, really disappointing. It's interesting that like there was a point where she had said that Donald Trump was a faker and people got so angry about that, which to me is like a very tame way to describe him. <laughs> But the fact that she was a Supreme Court justice, they were like, well, she shouldn't have said anything at all. And then now you see, like, what's-his-face Clarence Thomas and his wife, like, you know, trying to very obviously trying to get a lot of those right-wing policies implemented in these decisions. Um, And you're like, well, you know, I guess calling someone a faker is very um, tame, compared to like actually trying to interpret law so that like you know we have segregation back in schools you know it's just so it's so interesting how time develops and how we look at things that like seem to be big deals and then you're like oh worse things have happened and like that wasn't that big of a deal at all
1: I, I love how and you know, all that happened, Clarence Thomas, Thomas was like, you know, all those, you know, laws, you know, with Roe v. Wade and segregation, you know, civil rights laws, they can be looked at and, you know, we might repel them. He never mentioned his, like, what uh, Virginia First is loving, his interracial marriage. He didn't, he, you know, he didn't cover that part. Like, you know, I, I'll deal with the stuff that affects everybody now. and mean, I was like, yeah,
0: okay, it seems funny,
1: but, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm very, eh. So, yeah. yeah but it, yeah it was interesting to see her story we're both in brooklyn so hey girl <laughs> I mean, um she's
1: not here you can't she's
0: really not here <laughs> hey girl from beyond from um, beyond the beyond
1: let me let me become a um, dentist and she said she's dead she's in the ground she don't know nothing okay
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. she doesn't <laughs> This is a retroactive, hey girl, Um, because I (laughs) I didn't know she was from Brooklyn before, but now I know that we have that in common. But yeah, it was a very because it's Women's Month and and the month is about to end. It was, and I think, kind of enlightening, but also like inspirational look at someone who fought very hard and was like very quiet, very reserved, or very just like about her business. Kind of that quiet storm that soft power that really moved things along for women and for minorities like other for black people like she actually really did her part for that more than some of the on the bench so yeah for like
1: all my qualms might be for her being on the supreme court as long as she was through like injuries and broken bones and not having the work to say i'm bold and step down like she is really deserving of her flowers and i always hate these moments like yeah we honor we honor we give and honorifics to people after they pass not in the moment for all the trailblazing stuff they do when they deserve their flowers and they're able to see the praise adulation and the warmth we wait till after they're dead where they cannot experience or enjoy the love we give them so
0: well i think she thought that. i think she's seen how revered she was i mean the notorious bi R- 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 B- little shirts and cups and stuff like that and young women like running up to her to like say hello and stuff um they put a lot of that in the documentary just how much people especially our generation revered her and how desperate people were for her not to step down off, off the bench considering trump and all that was going on there so i think she definitely knew she was appreciated but yeah i will agree that like I definitely feel the loss of her not being here anymore because of what has transpired, um, which is really sad. But she did a lot and yes, grateful for her service. Um, All right, well, that's it from us this week. We hope you're taking care of yourselves and having a great week. Make sure to check out all of our social media, support us if you can, and we will see you guys in the next episode, goodbye.
1: Parfois.